Sue, thank you. Right, um, the reading comes from Isaiah, chapter 62. Zion's new name. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will call, be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over her, his bride, so will your Lord rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine which, which you have toiled. For those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise the banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your saviour comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, a city no longer deserted. Here ends the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ed's microphone's hanging a bit limp. <laughs> oh, I'm struggling here. Okay, I'll hold it. Here we go. Thanks, babe. Oh, here we go. Great. Uh, good. Excuse us for a moment. Let's... Uh, Let's grab someone's hand uh, by us. Do you know what? In a, in a world which atomizes human beings and uh, is in hyper-individualism, we are a family. 
And we may not spend all day every day with each other, but we've been bought at the highest price because Jesus himself shed his blood so that you and I can look around and say, oh my goodness, I'd never normally be in the same place as that person. <laughs> but actually, this is what God is, is doing. So we just thank you so much for the fact that you don't put us on a solo journey, but you place us in a company of brothers and sisters with you at the center, and we pray that you would be glorified, that you'd be honored and praised right now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's hard to know where to go after that incredible worship, and I think we may go back there um, after this. Um, I think my heart for what I'm about to share is for us not to go into sort of talk mode and disengage, for us just to recognize that by his spirit, Jesus is amongst us, and he's moving. And my prayer is that Jesus literally would download his heart into our hearts as, uh, as we just turn to the scriptures. And um, I want to, um, if you're with us for the first time, um, we've just had a weekend together and what I wanted to do uh, last weekend and what I wanted to do now was to begin to look forward to 2020 almost as a one-off. And I'm not talking about the practical things that we're going to look at to build the tabernacle for those of you who were here uh, a week ago. Uh, we've got lots of challenges facing us, which we're going to look at uh, over the next couple of months. Uh, challenges about how to belong as numbers grow, challenges like how to knock down walls or plant or whatever it is. We are seeking God's will for the future of the church, and we're going to get into all that. But this morning, what I wanted to do is to focus really on spiritually what I believe God wants us to pay attention to in 2020 and um, almost as a kind of looking forward um, as we um, just sort of conclude having a bit of a chance to regather um, after the summer, or summer for us anyway. Um, the reason I've chosen Isaiah 62 is because that was written uh, in probably around 5-600 BC. That's the time period, uh, you know, 5-600 years before Jesus appeared. And it was written basically to the Hebrew people after they'd been released from exile. You remember that under King David and Solomon, the kingdom was established. They built the temple. Uh, you know, Israel was doing pretty well amongst the nations. And then it all goes wrong. And then they go into exile for a period of time, uh, mourning, desolation for the people of God. And where we pick up Isaiah 62 is Isaiah speaking to the people, having been released from exile, they've gone back into the promised land, and what they find is a very confusing picture. What they find is the land is now overrun with people who, from their perspective, should not really be there. They find the city in ruins. They find the place where God's presence and his glory is meant to be uh, needs rebuilding and has been destroyed. And although they've been released from captivity, although they've come out of their slavery, out of exile, they find themselves back in the promised land, but it's not feeling very promised and it's not feeling very fulfilled. And into this picture, Isaiah speaks. 
And the reason I've chosen that um, now is because when you get given a bit of time, like we just had, to step back and just to think on, you know, what is life about? What am I about? What is the church about? What is the nation about? I think just stepping back, if you think about where the church is in our country, and maybe even just more locally in our communities, what I think we find is quite a confusing picture. What we find is that though we, if we know Jesus, have been released from the slavery to sin and death that we used to to know, though we've been released from captivity and exile, though the church has a building in every community in the land, what we find at the end of the second decade of the 21st century is that really uh, quite a confusing picture because what's happened is that the narrative, the knitting in of Christian truth, God's ways, a value system informed by scriptural revelation has been systematically eroded through the 20th century. And what we find now is the church uh, is quite confusing because if you go to many churches, some are absolutely on fire like ours. And yet when you look at society, what we're not doing is is finding a voice or being led by the Christian narrative any longer. And so it's quite confusing. So on the one hand, perhaps there's never been a time in history where the church has had so much revelation. You know, we know Jesus Christ and what he's done. We know the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've been as a church finding the Father in such a deep and intimate way. We're finding the whole triune expression of who God is. We've been given so much. We're activated in the Spirit. We know all these different things. And yet what we find is a confusing picture where the land in many ways is being led not by, as Jim was just praying, not by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, you know, just stepping back, I would say that, you know, without reading a sort of cultural analyst research, that secularism is biting at a transformative level in Western culture. And into this aspect, I just want to sort of think about this morning, if that makes sense. So this isn't a like, how do I live my life better tomorrow? This is kind of where are we and all of those things. Is that all right? Okay. Is this interesting? Good. All right. so let's pick up um, what Isaiah um, shares. And again, my, my aim is for us to catch the heart of God through, um, through this particular passage this morning. You know, and I, I just kind of, as someone who just loves the church, and I say that with agony at times, you know, when I just look at the, you know, the church stepping back, as someone who loves the church, I hear you know, the prophet Isaiah speaking to the people, and I'm going to insert, when we read Zion or Jerusalem, I'm inserting basically the church and God's people um, in this particular way that we're going to use this passage this morning. And so I'm like, for Zion's sake, for God's people's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, for the sake of the very location for where God's ways, his spirit, his glory is meant to be released on the earth, I will not rest until her, and I think the word we had in, this, in the passage was vindication, uh, but translated a bit more easily for us, until her righteousness 
shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a blazing torch. You know, we've been given so much in the church, and Isaiah is basically speaking to God's people, and he's saying, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm not going to give up on exhorting you, on challenging you, on telling you what God is saying, until you look, until you're righteous like God is, until basically you reflect who God is, and until you shine out the goodness of what he's done, his faithfulness, his mercy and grace, until it's like a blazing torch lit up for everybody around to see. Because the goal of what he's doing with his people is that the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, not for the building up of God's people, but so that they will see all that the Lord has done, all that the mouth of the Lord has given, and that he has bestowed on you a brand new name. Now let me, I'm getting excited this morning, so please just strap yourselves in, hold on tight, okay? (laughs) What he's basically saying is, you are to be lit up in such a way that everybody else will look around and see, oh my goodness, God must be real, he must be worth looking at and paying attention to, and all of the ways that we try and organize ourselves right right across this planet pale in comparison to the blazing torch, shining goodness, truth, mercy, righteousness, faithfulness, holiness, that beams out so that all the other nations think, oh my goodness, we cannot solve the world's problems unless we learn from that people over there who are just shining bright and we can see it all. Does this make sense? Boom. (laughs) You know, I just want to sort of build on what we were saying, just really as an aside last week. If we are to get to such a place where we are so different in such a magnetic and compelling way that we are able to shine a transforming message to the world, then we cannot ever allow pride in the door so that people can come and observe and we will constantly say, this is what the mouth of the Lord has given to us. We are a crown in his hand. The only way we sparkle is when we're looking at the face of the one on whom we're crowned. Does this make sense? Right, amen. (laughs) Right, next stage. And I just want to think about, um, in this context, let's just read it and then we'll come on to it. Verse 4, you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, and then we've got a couple of complicated names. Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. And Beulah, which means, your, which means your land is married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God Rejoice over you. Okay. Now, I want to think about this in the context of revival. And I want to think about this in the context of revival because this is where we focused on Jerusalem and Zion, the people of God, and now the focus goes to the land. And what he basically says is, I am restoring the land, the the geographical place where the people live, I'm restoring the land in such a way that it will no longer be desolate or forsaken, but it will be like being married. And the land will be married in such a way that 
people will look and say, the one who made it, the creator, the maker, has married the land. Now, right through the scriptures, right through the scriptures, the metaphor or picture or prophetic image of marriage runs right the way through. And if you start at the beginning, what that looks like is that a husband will be, a man will be joined to a woman and they will be called one They'll be called one flesh. Basically, marriage is the joining together of two parties so that they become no longer two, but completely one. So what he's saying is, the land will no longer be desolate, but the maker, the builder of this, the architect of all that is going to happen to your restoration, will literally marry the land so that there is a coming together of the land, the communities, the people in it, in a oneness whereby the maker and the land and all the peoples are a complete single entity. Now, I'd love to think this was always reality for those of us who've been given the gift of marriage. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the goal (laughs) is that when... We come together as husband and wife. There is no separation. Though we are apart, we think as one, we act as one, we yearn to be one, and we literally are like, you know, just... um, uh, So many images going through my head. So, um, (laughs) slow down. (laughs) Like the most... What I was thinking of was strictly, and this is totally not it, but the most beautiful you know, serenade, where two are literally, you can't see a division between them. Now, what we were talking about last weekend, I feel is reinforced here. When we talk about wanting to see the kingdom of God come, when we talk about revival, when we talk about awakening, when we talk about transformation, who cares what name we give it? What we're talking about is something that bursts from the church, that inhabits the household's the structures of how our communities work in such a way that they are given every opportunity, this side of Jesus returning, to recognize that he is the true Lord and Savior of them all, that true peace and rest is found in giving their hearts to him. And as he begins to move in every individual, in every community, every household, what happens is his ways begin to be expanded and shone here. So that when God moves, we, even in our communities, are able to pay attention to this. We are done people. Not when we have a, you know awesome church and we have to knock down a wall to fit a few more people in or make a plan with what we're doing next. We are done. When every patch of grass in this place shines out, when God says move, we say, we just want to say, yes, boom, we're with you. When his ways are manifest and glorified here, Now, that is a completely out of reach, hard to grasp, far beyond our control vision to ever happen. But even getting a church, which is shining righteousness and salvation, can't happen. That's not within our control either. Do you know when the Hebridean revival struck, they had a period of a number of years where there was just utter serenity resting upon their communities. Where I was reading one account... um, this summer where, where basically there was a, a 16-year-old farm worker who cut his hand at work and he swore 
And he went home and he gathered his whole family and said, we need to come before God because I, I grieve the Holy Spirit today. You know, this is the sort of stuff. When the Welsh revival hit, it transformed all of the workers in such a way that they weren't able to swear any longer. And because they used to swear at their workhorses when they went down to the pit, you know, as the horses would haul out the coal from the, the mines, the horses couldn't understand them any longer because they only used swear words to summon and beckon them. Oh, here we go. You know, and um, does this make sense to you? And so there's a sense in which we are called to get, and, and here's where I, I just want to sort of say, we absolutely love the church, and what lurks is getting church-centric in the next season because we're getting busy and complicated. We are called to bring transformation to everybody who lives here. But when we go and think about out here, it's also through the agency of the people of God, where we're able to say, there's a city on a hill, and there's a different way of doing things, as well as being the salt of the earth. Does this make sense? Okay. All right, let's move on, because we've got more to do. Is everyone doing okay? How's this going to happen? How can it possibly happen? Well, let's read verse 6. Look at God's provision. Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted sentinels or watchmen. All day and all night they shall never be silent. You who remind the Lord take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. One key thing in the next season that we have to pay attention to is the ministry of intercession. Because for us to see the deep things of God, for us to see real change, we have to come before him and intercede for the things that are way beyond our control, way beyond our grasp, and from a place of his heart. Now, when we call one another to prayer, what crouches at the door is the idea of works. So if we can get enough of us praying, then we'll try and twist God's arm, you know, we might finally relent, you know, and then say, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Or what crouches at the door is sometimes just a, a heaviness when we pray, or just a list of all the things that are wrong with the world. And we go to a prayer meeting and we list them all, and then we just feel depressed at the end. Because it's like, oh, we've just listed all of the endless problems that no one can sort out, and... We don't really feel like you're going to sort them out either, but we feel better about ourselves. <laughs> does this make sense? Um, but, so what does that even look like? And when we talk about prayer, and this is, analogy won't go as far as it needs to, but I was just thinking about, you know, one of the motifs, again, which is, I've just referred to, which is about marriage, right? In the most, you know, this is how we want to be people, all right? When, I, when I'm apart from Louise, I, I want to be thinking about her and what she's like, what her priorities are, what's important to her, so that I can still remain united with her wherever I go. So I'm, I'm thinking about like what's important to her. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'm in a shop. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe that would be important to her and I can pick it up. Or maybe I'm faced with a situation and I can think, oh, yeah, how would we together process it? How would she go about it? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about it. 
And it is enacting change through me because I'm carrying her into my being and I'm remaining connected throughout, throughout all the way that I live my life. Now, it falls down because, what, well, she, yeah, anyway, I don't want to take it too far. But does this make sense? But intercession, I mean, I think we were coming a bit close to it, you know, this morning. Intercession is when we stand face to face before him and actually we leave our shopping list and we say, what is important on your heart? What are the things that you want to download? Because you're the one who knows what we need to pray. You're the one who knows how to establish Jerusalem or the people of God. And so I begin to set that aside and stand before you and begin to receive your heart within me. It's what John sees at the end of Revelation when he says, the spirit within and the bride now have become one. And they say, come. Where John sees this wonderful revelation of fulfillment of the kingdom pouring in. And he says, the spirit now within and me and my whole being is saying, come, come, come. Let everyone who's thirsty come. You know, it's Romans 8. It's the deep, unutterable things that we catch them. And then when we begin to release them, that's when he, as we were talking last weekend, is able to be sovereign. And then he's able to go, boom. I found a, a, a a wineskin, a people, a prayer, a unity through which I can begin to release my ways and to begin to bring change and begin to enact the establishing of my kingdom through the prayers of the people. Does this make sense? So I'm just saying, we've got to grow in this. Because if we've got to see change across you know, our communities, our church, my family, my home, my whatever it is, we've got to, we've got to be before the Lord. And it is banging on the door, but it, it, it's also coming face to face and receiving from him the very revelation of his heart. Let's go on, verse 8. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink the wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it, who gather it in, shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in my holy courts. I want to get cracking, so I'm not going to linger too much on this. But basically what he's saying is, when this happens, your lives will be fruitful in such a way that they'll never be robbed. And in such a way that you are fruitful, not for your own ends. You know, we want to be fruitful as Christian people, but we want to also avoid the self-actualization in our culture. So we, move, we want to move into blessing and abundance so that we're able to be a blessing and to bring abundance and, and avoid the kind of, you know, uh, let, let me um, put it like this. One of the things when you travel to a place, you know, in the majority world, or like we were, did when, when we went to the Arctic, is you realize they have to depend on the Lord for, for provision in a way that many of us don't have to. So what is it like to live in a place like where we live, surrounded by so much, and yet not grow dull in terms of our absolute 100% dependence on God? That we could, we could feast with whatever, feast with kings, or sit with someone in the street, 
And it doesn't change who we are on the inside because we know that we are fruitful by his grace and his faithfulness. And we do it all, as it says here, in his holy courts. We do it in the presence of the Lord. We, we taste of the Lord's goodness and his provision in his presence constantly. We say, it's all from you. It's all about you. It's all going back to you. And you're the goal and, and source of it all. Okay? Now, the people of God are looking on at Jerusalem, the place where the glory is meant to be, where they're meant to go, and, and the presence of the Lord is meant to be displayed and, and radiate outwards from the city. And this is the picture in mind. They're looking at the road up to the city. And the prophet says, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, pick out the stones, and lift up a banner over the peoples. What does that mean? It means, as we go forward into 2020, I just want to say, build up the highway. This is, we are to make a straight road to the Lord's glory, every single moment, every single day, every ministry to be targeted towards the glory of the Lord. Every single bit. We're to build that way, build the highway, build the road, make it straight, whatever, and everything in our hearts is all about the glory of the Lord. We've been singing it this morning. You know, Jesus, I don't know, I can't even remember what we were singing, but it, just, it felt like, Jesus, only you, only you, only you. But following that through into our lives, that everything is dedicated and built on his glory. You know, and just, I, again, I don't want to go over last weekend, you know, but I just want to reference when we're doing well, when success is intoxicating, it could be in church, it could be in work, it could be at home. That is the place where we say, I'm going lower. I'm going to wear my knees out more and more so that you are magnified and you are glorified. I'm building the highway because the one vision I've got in mind is, is, is making a straight road for your glory to be seen. The way that corresponds hand in hand is picking out the stones, picking out the rubble, clearing it. And in 2020, I'm telling you, this is not a sexy message and this is not going to, you know, what it should be an enticing message, but I'm telling you what, pursuing intentionally holiness is absolutely on God's heart. You know, when you read through the history of how God has moved down the ages, I'm telling you what, it is holiness all the way. Now, we've been talking about the Father's heart for the last year or so, and this isn't eroding that or doing away or talking about fear or legalism, all of that. We're going to have to do holiness without doing fear and condemnation and guilt. All right? Let's make that agreement now. However, what is the characteristic which belongs to God and him alone? That he is holy. And that's the very quality that he wants reflected in his children. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see, says Jesus. And it's pursuing holiness without a kind of whatever, but pursuing it because it's liberating and life-giving. And when we live in a culture which just says anything is possible, everything goes, and where shame is just killing our nation, I just, I just say, come on, we've got to shine a different light and be a different people. And say, if you want to... If you want to look what marriage is like, it's more than two companions who live under the same roof. 
It's more than just a physical act. It's actually about a deep, tender, spiritual, intimate union. That's what marriage looks like. If you want to look at relationships with children, it's where parents will actually humble themselves and children will actually honour. It's like we have got something to offer if we allow God to transform us in such a way. Yeah? So we're building the highway and we're picking out the stones. Boom, we're going to do it together. You know, what would it be like if we had the depth of relationship with one another where we were able to say, you know, do you know what, James? Because I love you so much, dude, stop doing that. And we welcomed it. And we didn't go, ah, oh, what do you mean? Because our culture teaches us to self-justify. What would it be like if we, if we said, when someone said, I see this in you, and it's just not godly, with gentleness, I must add. <laughs> Let's just not be like too bullish in the china shop. But with gentleness. And then we say, do you know what? Thank you for sharing that. What else, what else can you see that isn't of God? Help me pick out the stones. And finally, uh, what does it mean, raise up a banner? It's raising up a standard. In how it was written, it's a military, it's a military terminology. It's not a banner of love. It's a, it's a military sign. It's what would happen when a general would say to the flag bearer, run this one up because the people need to gather around this and we're going here. And as we prepare, as we build the highway, as we pick out the stones, as we pray and long and yearn for God's heart, I'm telling you what, 2020 is about a bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. Not in triumphalism, not in arrogance, with gentleness, with humility, with bowing down low, with love. But I tell you what, the gospel is never more real, never more apt, never more true. Do you know how compelling Jesus is and all that he's done? And I'm telling you, I just feel in 2020, we just want to proclaim the gospel at church, in our lives, at work. You know, I was, I just, this is, please, I'm going to tell you this story because um, I, I met, an, the last time I led someone to the Lord was when I met an air steward on the plane um, a few weeks ago. An, an air steward, just think about this, a male air steward, <laughs> It was a long way from God, okay? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say, you know. And, and, and he walked past our family, and he said, after a few trips up and down, he said, oh, are you missionaries or something? <laughs> Just like that. And I said, well, kind of. <laughs> anyway, it all went dark, everyone slept, and then I went to find him in the little galley bit. Anyway, turns out, you know, he... he um, Oh, this is, I don't know if I've even got time for this. um, Anyway, turns out he grew up on a street where at the end of his street, there was a witch. And he just like poured it all out. And and, um, he didn't didn't even know what I'd do. I I just said, oh, why did you say, you know, are we missionaries? And, And he basically said, at the end of his street growing up, there was a witch. And she made friends with him and invited him around. And she began to teach him all her ways. And he said, when I got to about sort of sixth form age, um, basically she, she told me to renounce everything apart from the ways that I was, I was telling her. And he said, from that moment on, my family has just been catastrophic. He said, you know, just everything's gone wrong. 
you know, his, his parents have had, you know, awful illnesses. His, everything, everyone's just, it's just fractured, brokenness everywhere from that moment. I was like, why did you do it? You know, and, and he said, you know, I'm just, I've been freaked out for 20 years. Yeah, he's in his late 30s. Um, he said, um, at home, very often, I can't do anything because there's so many bumps and noises. I'm just, I'm terrified all the time. And he said, a few weeks ago, I went along to this local church, and while I was in the building, he said, all of the terror that I felt in my life seemed to flow away, and I, I suddenly felt peace. I was like, that's amazing. Um, and then he said, but as soon as I left the church, it all came back. And I just said to him, do you know, I can fix that. <laughs> and it was like, this is so easy. I was like, I can fix that, no problem at all. Um, and uh, I basically said, the problem is, you haven't got a high enough power to get rid of the power that came into you when she made you renounce that stuff. So I said, let me just tell you, there's a man, Jesus, he, he died, he rose again, he defeated even death, so he's powerful more than anything. And... I'm just telling you, if you, he's the guy they're talking about in church, and if you put your whole trust in him, then he will actually chase out of your life all the terror and fear that's been coming in, and it will never come back. And he was like, it's as simple as that. I was like, yeah. And, and so we just like, and all the kids were just, as, well, in fact, two of the kids weren't asleep. They were watching movies, even though they've been told only one movie, then it's sleep time. But anyway, Louise is asleep. Um, and so we're just in the, in the, in the sort of galley, uh, and I just said, listen, but I'm not going to do this lightly. You need to pray this from the heart, because it's got to mean something. This isn't just like a, um, this isn't like you going to see the witch. You know, this is bigger than that. Uh, and so we just, um, in the galleyway, we just knelt together, we prayed, we repented, we told all that bad stuff to get out, we welcomed Jesus, we made him Lord, you know, and then we just welcomed the Holy Spirit to replace and all of that. And just, Right, I'm just telling you, right? It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. All right, and then what happened is, <laughs> then when everybody started waking up, because um, Louise and the kids had been asleep, they'd missed, um, missed uh, the meal or whatever. Anyway, he started going to the back. He just started giving us free food like, in front of everybody. <laughs> like, he was loving us. <laughs> so um, he was just like, so thankful afterwards. Yeah, and he texted. Yeah. So anyway... Um, so um, he lives in London, otherwise hopefully he'd be front row at the moment. Um, anyway, was he far from God? Yeah. Is the gospel relevant? Yeah. How many people need it? Everyone. Everyone. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> do you know what? I didn't talk about the Pauline epistles with him. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do any theological reflection, any of that. This is for all of us. I didn't use any special tricks because I'm a professional Christian. This is for all of us. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like there is a turning point in 2020 where I feel like it's the time to bring in the harvest. And as we do that, the Lord wants a pure, holy church, focused on his glory, picking out the stones. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Tom, can you come and Sarah? I think um, let's um, let's close in in worship.
you know, um, so inspiring to hear uh, James's message this morning and, you know, what the Lord is stirring and doing among us. So let's just turn our gaze back uh, to him as we, um, yeah, I think that's what we need to do. Let's stand and, um, oh, we all right? Yeah, let's stand, let's just honor the Lord among us again and, um, Father, we want to thank you for what James has shared uh, with us today, the inspiration um, to press deeper into you.